0: That'd be a good idea yeah. all right <laughs> okay um, I saw something that I thought was uh, kind of fascinating um, oh before I do that we'll start with a little humor uh, it, it is funny that in our culture uh, we have to it's, it's good that we keep a sense of humor because you know what we're a little quirky <laughs> I know that's strange but okay we're a lot weird How I feel coming home from camp. For those that have been to girls' camp or boys' camp. Okay. Uh, And then, how I feel sustaining someone in the nursery. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Uh, All right. That said, all right. Um, uh, just a few years ago uh, there was a a wonderful article that came out in uh, BYU Studies magazine and this was a guy that had done a survey of historical teachings about Mother in Heaven and uh, Part of what he what he did is he gleaned from some comments that had come from some quarters uh, about saying uh, we're not supposed to talk about her. He he called he said there's like a reverent hush. That we don't know much about her, and uh, we're not supposed to pray to her, and so she kind of gets relegated to a topic that we don't talk about about her. And a sense that the church has never really talked about her ever, Uh, so we get Eliza Snow and Oh My Father, and that's about it, and and maybe one day we'll learn. And what he did starting in this was a wonderful project that he did just a few years ago he went back and researched all the things that had been said by the brethren from official sources from the brethren and and in uh that he could glean, not just people kind of writing on the side, but official sources, what had been said about her and it was extensive. He had thousands and thousands and thousands of quotes about Mother in Heaven. Um, and I think that's kind of important uh, because uh, one of the things that has just come out in the last it's going to look like I'm promoting a book, but I'm, I need you to hear an idea. Mm-hmm. More than that. This is a new children's book just published by Deseret Book about uh, families and and it has a lot about mother in heaven in it. Um, and so there's this sense, this idea of, of uh, her wonderfulness. And, and again, it does make it a little bit hard that we don't have a lot revealed on her. But there is more written about her than you would know if you just go back and check the, the sources. So, if you're more interested in that, uh, you might just look up a mother there uh, survey of historical teachings in Google, uh, and in the Google and thumb You'll get a lot more. You, you can read this article and just go, "Wow, there's a lot. There's a lot said," and that there is no we're not under no injunction to not talk about her. In fact, we love her. We revere her. Uh, it's just that the, officially, if you look at the way the Savior said, pray this way, we pray to Heavenly Father, But that, so we may not pray to her, but that suddenly doesn't mean that we don't talk about her at all and that she's kind of a taboo topic. Does that, does that make sense? And I love the fact that Deseret Book officially is saying, we're putting some stuff out here uh, about her, as little as we know, but, okay? Yeah. I thought that,
1: that, um, I can't remember the name of the author, but she's written a lot about um, a lot of poetry and a lot
0: of... Carolyn Pearson? Carolyn Pearson, yes. uh, I thought that she was the brethren for for. The only place where they got in trouble is that they, they uh, and rightly so, and I get this desire that builds up, uh, she, was, she was part of the, the group that was really advocating we should be praying to her instead of Heavenly Father. That, that's, that's what got her kind of a, a bit at odds. Um, and so that's why I say, so we've taken that to say, well, maybe we're not supposed to talk about her at all. But I've been thinking about it. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a second. There is a drive in humanity to want to connect with, uh, with our, our, a female deity. And if you just look at all of the Roman and Greek uh, kind of thing and, and Catholicism, we want, we want to connect with this, with this female deity in, in heaven, whatever that culture, however that would do it and I just think it's inborn in us we just desire I don't know about you but I am I would just be doing handstands if you know President Monson got a revelation about more on her Because she's there, and we just kind of feel like we're missing out. And so sometimes people have said, you know, one of the little things in the culture is, well, her name is so sacred that the Heavenly Father didn't want to run her name through the mud the way that his name would be turned. There's nothing doctrinal about that. You try and find that taught in our doctrine. That was a couple of ideas that people had. But somewhere in here is this wonderful doctrine of this powerful participant in the creation, and, and across the board, that was her. Okay. Uh, so along with that, uh, I wanted to, to tack on one more. Elder uh, Glenn L. Pace and BYU Devotional. Uh, I thought this was spectacular. Sisters, I testify that when you stand in front of your heavenly parents in those royal courts on high and you look into her eyes and behold her countenance, any question you ever have about the role of women in the kingdom will evaporate into rich celestial air. <coughs> because at that moment you will see standing directly in front of you your divine uh, nature and destiny. Wow. Wow. I think that is just beautifully stated. Beautifully stated. And that's really who we are and where we are. Okay. Uh, the only, again, the only shame is that so little has been revealed about her. And any guesses as to why it hasn't been revealed are simply guesses and speculation. And I think there is a desire in to come to know more. Um, now, Along with that then, let let me, I think it enters in in a little bit here in uh, Alma's discussions that we're talking about. Uh, Remember that Alma is going to start this reformation project where he's, he's recognizing he's been held down by being the high priest and he's being held down by being uh, the chief judge. And so because of that, he hasn't been able to get out on the road and speak very much. And he sees the church kind of falling apart and needing a, a wake-up call. Um, and so he's going to get out there among the people. And, and we, get the, we get a couple of things, one out of Gideon, that, that, that I want to mention. And it is this. Um, in Alma 7 I'm going to kind of go a little bit out of order here but I want to kind of tie it what we're just talking about he, Alma seven ten, and behold he uh, the Savior shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem which is in the land of our forefathers she being a virgin and a precious and chosen vessel who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost to bring forth the Son even the Son of God Now, this is by direct revelation. He says, the Spirit saith, and then he's given us this. And I look at at this, and and I I compare it with uh, what was revealed by the angel to King Benjamin. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning. And his mother shall be called Mary. Now... Let, let me stop for a sec because I, I have a question about this, and I, we don't necessarily have a big answer, but I want to kind of jog you a bit, okay? Why do we have to know her name? Why is it important enough that, because he, he could have easily said she's going to be born, or he's going to be born uh, of a virgin, that, that'll be a miraculous kind of thing. Uh, and and then continue on but now we get in two places and in fact Nephi's vision of the tree of life it opens up and the first thing do you know the condescension of God no I don't let me show you Mary boom and he gets it as part in in uh, uh, first Nephi 11 we want you to know about that Mary lived and her name Why would it be important to know? And and before you answer that, this could have easily been, if it was important for us to know, looking back, Mormon could have simply included it in his record. Nephi could have included it in his record. But why was it important that the people in Gideon in a in a live talk and the people at the temple under King Benjamin in a live address? No, he will be born of a virgin in Jeru- around Jerusalem and her name will be Mary or Miriam. It was the only name she knew. She will be... Why would, why would it be important they know her name? Yeah.
2: Wasn't there some speculation that John the Baptist
0: was Christ from the certain group? Sure, th- th- there was. And they would have some idea, trying to figure that part out. But why would it be important in Gideon 60 years before Miriam is even born? Why would it be important to know in, in Zarahemla under King Benjamin uh, about 80 years before Miriam will even be born? We need to know her name.
1: Well, I'm thinking of human nature. Yes. As far as prophecies, a lot of times we need specifics. You know? Why?
0: Let me just ask you this. How important are names in, in Hebrew tradition in the Old Testament? What happens, for instance, it, by tradition when a, when a prophet takes on new covenants? In the Old Testament. What happens? Name change. change. Absolutely. What happens with us when we make new covenants in sacred places? New names. There is a a power in names. And so is this part of that? I don't know. I've wondered a little bit about that. What about the genealogy of Jesus Christ? That would be an important thing. oh 1st Matthew tracking and 1st and Luke you're right <coughs> so not only that do we know not for the New Testament purposes not only do they know who Miriam and Joseph were but they could track their genealogy therefore Christ's genealogy physical genealogy through her but we then would also know her name but it's interesting so important was it to know her name that it's revealed in the Book of Mormon twice
1: are the, are the people he's teaching related by genealogy?
0: That they're related by Israel. I mean, that they are Israelites. Right. Okay, yeah.
1: What about foreordination? Does it kind of teach about that principle?
0: That she was set apart? Yeah. See, and, and that's why I say at the end of this, we, we, we don't have a lot of answers, but I just need you to get a sense that her name is important and it could be a variety of reasons. At the very, very least, I believe that one of the reasons that we revere history and we look back in sacred history is that we, we revere sacred and chosen vessels, that we have people and examples that we can look to that inspire us. And there's nobody more inspiring than Mother or or Miriam. Just incredible people that we look at their lives and how they handle things and it's not just that there was somebody that did it. We need to know them and we need to re- revere and recognize their accomplishment and their name. Names, I think, are important. So we, when we make sure that... Uh, f- f- for instance... Uh, President Jones, isn't it interesting in the temple that it's not just that a sacred ordinance is done and it's taken care of and that the spirit, spirits know and that person knows, but what's also important is that it's recorded somewhere. That name is recorded, that, it's, that it can be called upon. Names are critical and your accomplishments and your name alongside your accomplishment is critical. That's why, so so let me just finish with this. All of you humble, humble sisters that slave with sweat rolling down your face, at a ward dinner in the back of the kitchen, peeling potatoes, because you don't want anybody to know it was nothing, I didn't do anything, and I, can't, I don't wanna be out in front, I'm just gonna uh, selflessly serve and cook this stuff, and maybe I'll spend hours preparing it, and sneak it in the back door at the kitchen, so that the ward can have this casserole that I made, and then I'm gonna sneak out, so nobody that I will know, will ever know that I was there, let me just say we know who you are <laughs> we got you <laughs> and angels may quote from your experiences and the horror may even use your name <laughs> somebody may know the incredible stuff you did when you sneak across town and help somebody I think
2: it's interesting that it's our first name that's
1: really important Yeah. It seems like belief came originally from what we did
0: Yes. On our genealogy maybe based on our last name or something. Like, yeah. this is
1: As far
2: as the scriptures and everything goes and things in the church it's our first name that's really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I thought that the, uh, I, I did include a picture here uh, by the way of... Uh, of Ephesus, and the reason why I tied that in there is that if you can look on your on the right, you see kind of a right hand turn, and there's a person in red making a turn up that trail up there. If you go up that trail just a little bit more and then straight more towards uh, the ocean, uh, there is a little stone house that sits down in the bushes just down off of that trail, and that is the spot that is revered by uh, Catholicism and by history that was where Miriam, Mary, lived out her final days, uh, brought to Ephesus by John uh, the Beloved now, is that true? Who knows but it's interesting that when you go up that trail, there's always a stop and saying, by tradition this is where Mary lived the the remainder of her days and then passed away here in Ephesus okay, I thought that was got it right. that said So, any more on that? I didn't want to belabor that too much, but I just think it's, I I just think we need to always kind of be aware of, of those kind of things. So, all right. That said, let's turn to the the, the beautiful thing about this. We're going to hit one hit a little bit of Alma five, and then we're going to do seven. Uh, the lesson manual. If you were just doing Gospel Doctrine, we'd be now on down the road and hanging out in Ammonihah. Uh, but we get a chance to spend an additional day because there are, there are some incredible stuff that still live inside Alma five and seven uh, that can be helpful to us. I want you to and I want you to see something here. If you turn to Alma five. 15 Let's do this. All right. I want you to see something for a second. The more I study Alma, the more I am profoundly impressed by Alma. Uh, by who he was and what he tried to do and his life experience and everything that he brought the t- to the table uh, to get where he was. Now, one of the things that we can appreciate about Alma is his teaching style. Watch how, not just what he taught, but how he did it. And I think that's, that's important because then for us, we then also get a sense to say, uh, we get to learn great teaching styles. And watch, watch how Alma teaches. Okay? Now, there's a little there's a little thing that we talked about last time that's in 14. I ask of you, ye brethren of the church, have you been spiritually born of God? And then we thought it was interesting that in the process of changing your heart, he then slips in this little comment. Do you have his image on your countenance? Do you look a little different? Then have you been spiritually changed of God? And you wonder, where'd this come from? This changing your image kind of thing. Why would he now bring this in as part of this discussion? Well, part of the answer for that comes as you start now reading the rest of this. Okay? Look at where he goes. You exercise faith in the redemption of him who created you. Do you look forward to it with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality? 16. Can you imagine to yourself that you hear the voice of the Lord saying, uh, Come unto me, ye blessed. uh, Or imagine that you can lie unto the Lord in that day. Okay. Now, let me kind of put it in his terms. Let, let, Let me give you an idea of what he's trying to do. What I want you to do is just picture for a second that we have these doors closed on the chapel and then at the end of Institute I said, by the way, I, I, I wasn't able to tell you this before but now I get to tell you this. Here's the big announcement for today. As it turns out, the Savior will be waiting for you when we come out of this class over here in this in this lobby when you leave class today you're going to be able to file past the Savior and look into his eyes and I want you to picture yourself being able to then stand in just a little while to stand before the Savior before you leave today yes And so the question is, and Alma's kind of doing this, I want you to picture standing before God. Now, we are all of a nature of a sort that we say, if I showed you a picture of you and your family, here's the picture of you and your family, um, where do your eyes go to immediately? When you look at any picture that includes you in it. To you. How do I look? Was my hair combed? Did I have a weird face? (laughs) Did I look all right that day? Okay, just checking. I can look at me in there, and then I can look at the other people in the picture, right? Now picture you standing in front of the Savior. As much as you would be overwhelmed by standing in front of the Savior if you're visualizing the way Alma wants you to visualize where are your eyes going to you there's a picture of you standing in front of the Savior I promise you your first look would be to you and when you look at a picture, and you're imaging in your mind, I'm standing in front of the Savior, how do I look? (coughs) Can you imagine when you hear the voice of the Lord? Um, Verse 17, you imagine yourself that you can lie unto the Lord. 18, can you imagine yourselves being brought before the tribunal of God with your souls filled with guilt and remorse having a remembrance of all your guilt you see what he's doing you see the picture, the picture he's painting now i say unto you 19 can you look up important word why if you're feeling good about where you are at that moment where would you be looking? At him. Up at him. What would happen if if like the woman, do you think the woman at, at that was dragged into the temple in the middle of adultery and they dragged her into the temple and plopped her at the foot of the savior? Do you think her immediately her immediate view was to look lovingly up into his eyes? Where was she looking? down into the dirt probably where he was drawing maybe what he was drawing in the dirt was something to her I hadn't thought of that before but she would be looking down when we are feeling guilty where do we look down it's one of those ways that you know somebody's lying Do you take the cookies no (laughs) no In other words, he's saying to you, picture you standing in front of the Savior. Do you picture yourself looking up at him, into his eyes? Do you picture yourself looking down? And by the way, he's now going to add more to it. You're going to be looking down, and what are you going to see? Um, 27. If you were to die at this time, uh, would you see, you'd be looking at your clothes. And what are you going to see when you're looking at your clothes? See him painting the picture? You're going to look down at your clothes. What are you going to see? Well, your garments have been cleansed. uh, Or, I guess it's above it. Oh, here it is 22. How will you feel? If you stand before the bar of God, having your garments stained with blood and all manner of filthiness, will these things testify of you? Will they not testify that you're murderers, that you're guilty of all manner of wickedness? Where will you look? Wow, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. Now, let me stop for a second let's go back to what we were just talking about if you are standing if you're sitting in this class today and I said the Savior is there and he's waiting for you how many of you would immediately get up and run in how many of you would sit and kinda think about it and how many of us would go I'm not ready yet I'm going to the right, I'm not going to the left. I'm gonna go out the back door. And I think that's what he was trying to do. Is that a powerful picture? Okay. Now let me add one more layer to that then. Look at what he does. back to verse 19 he says I say unto you can ye look up a God at that moment with a pure heart and clean hands I say unto you can you look up now what having what anybody see the moon this weekend yeah, yeah. harvest moon awesome isn't that great where did light come from
3: Sun. The
0: sun, moon doesn't have its own light, right? So, what were we looking at at this magnificent harvest moon?
3: A reflection of the sun.
0: It, it was a reflection of the sun. S U N or S O N? Yes. <laughs> Can you look up at him having what? His image in your countenance. What would be reflected in your face as you look up? If you if you trust him, you say, My life hasn't been perfect, I know, but I'm relying on you, who is mighty to save, and I'm gonna trust in this atonement, and now I'm looking up into his eyes. What would be impressed in my image, in my countenance? His light. His light. His light, his love, his charity, his all of that. Can you see that pressed into your image? In the same way that a bright sun is shining on a harvest moon and we're seeing that reflected light in the moon. Does that now make sense? What is being impressed into our countenance? It's his image. But we only get to be reflected in his image if we're looking where? Uh. Up. <laughs> At him rather than looking down at our clothes. How's that for a powerful image? How's Alma doing so far? Wow, yeah. That's why I say, I think you're going to find, and you will begin to see this going forward in all of Alma's teachings, that he's, gonna, he's going to paint pictures for you. Now, when you are, when we teach whether it's from the pulpit or in a Sunday school class or a primary class how important is imagery? What did the Savior use more than anything else? Parables. Parables. Why? Because it was an easier...
1: it spoke on many levels. Right. But it, it was an easy way to get the message across. But it also spoke to different sure. on different levels.
0: How do we learn in the temple? Symbols, images. What is there about symbols and imagery that, that is so vital to us remembering spiritual principles? Can't we just say, keep the commandments, do what's right? Why is it important? President, why would it be so important that we have, that we be given images and parables and all of those kind of things?
3: They stick to us better. Why? Whenever, whenever we can run a motion picture in our head, whenever anybody's giving a talk or when there's a motion picture kind of going on in your mind, those are the things that we tend to sink deep into our souls rather than it bouncing off and just gone.
0: Yeah. And not only that, if I see an, or hear an image and I see it today... What happens if I see the same image, I see, uh, I've kind of been seeing the same things in the temple for, you know, 30 years. What, What happens if your life changes and you have different experiences? Do you look at a symbol differently? Sure. We are right now yeah. We're that yeah here all of yeah when the savior taught what images did he draw on to try and teach use the images of what that they
1: were things they were familiar
0: with like them. like what like sheep, sheep. Oh. olives
1: Sons. wine
0: wine Shepherd.
2: shepherds
0: <coughs> olive trees
2: oh, groves, groves. Yeah, like
0: farms, he's just looking around and going let me teach a lesson based on water, bread money. fishes, money
4: so, so class like a
0: Samaritan? yeah and even, even he's going to draw on people like Samaritans and the Jericho road as a way to teach f- familiar images
3: Okay. I was impressed from our Sunday conference session. The most comments I have received, and I have received them by many, was when I asked President Wu to come forward and press forward. On yeah. So that imagery is kind
0: of... him of trying amazing. to push again, trying to press forward. I think
3: that's the only thing anybody remembers about
0: Yeah, that. it is. But that's <laughs> the imagery. See, your talk could have been about 30 seconds. You get up, yeah, present moon, push against it, everybody gets it. Got it? Okay, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we get that. We have those images that burn itself into our brain. We are visual learners, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We are visual learners. Yeah, present? And rememberers. We're visual rememberers. Yes. That if that remembering process, anybody who has been on a handcart trek, and we're talking about sacrifice, don't you have a visual, physical image of what that might have looked like? Yeah, we just, it, it's how it works. So, all right. So, uh, the reason I say that is that we could probably call this semester um uh, Teachings of Alma, and we would probably be all right because we're probably—I think—we're going to be uh, Almaized all the way through December. <laughs> but we're going to see Alma talk to uh, intelligent people. We're going to see him talk to righteous people. We're going to see him talk to a righteous son. We're going to spend a while in watching a uh, apostizing son who's full of passion and drive but heading in the wrong direction we're going to get we're going to see him talk to uh, Amulek we're going to watch him talk to attorneys we're going to watch him talk to I mean you're just going to get this whole range this is th- this semester is Alma and we're going to get the richness of this powerful man and his essence and you're going to watch all this imagery uh, with him so all right um, thank you all right so as part of that teaching, let me, let, let, let me add one more little thing that, that he did that I think is, is part of what makes him uh, wonderful. Um, so let me go backwards to, to talk about this. Uh, this is actually a, a, a drawing of uh, the library at Qumran that was run by the Essenes uh, and this library ran for a couple of hundred years, we think, and it, and it ran right up to uh, 68 A.D. How can we know it stopped at 68 A.D.? The Romans burned it to the ground. Yeah, the, they came out of conquering Jerusalem. They're on their way down to Masada. One of the places they stop is Qumran, uh, and they and they wipe it out. The people at Qumran were actually waiting for the the people of light versus the evil ones to come, and the people of light would win. Only they didn't. <laughs> okay, now Qumran was a was a. Um, for the Essenes, the Essenes, the Essenes saw the Pharisees as left-wing, liberal, uh, too easy on the people kind of people. They called them following the smooth ways. That was the Pharisees they were looking at. The the Essenes were like. Two standard deviations on the other side of, of those guys um, and and what they had was at Qumran a place where they were teaching and and but you'd go for about six months to a year at Qumran and he's like coming to a university but part of the main job at Qumran was to copy records and to build a library of sacred text and so they had multiple, multiple copies of Isaiah and Psalms and other things that they were, they were copying at uh, Qumran. They would stand there and make copies of that, okay? Uh, and then the Essenes lived in small towns that were not too far distant from Qumran. They're out in the, by the Dead Sea out in the wilderness. Uh, they didn't interact very much with Jerusalem, but they interacted with Jerusalem enough that, in, that Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount quotes from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Do you know that? You've heard it anciently, it says, hate your enemies. Just That's from the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's in the community text of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran. Okay? Um, so they knew enough about the Essenes that Jesus was quoting something that was familiar to everybody, okay, so that's it then what happens is is that when the Romans came pouring out of having the temple smoking and on fire and they're crucifying everybody in Jerusalem and they're marching south, they're coming out of there and they're coming down towards Masada where these guys were going to hang out and try and hold them at bay, they hit Qumran and as the people they're watching the people of Qumran coming what do they do with these texts? These, libra- these the, from the library at Qumran? What do they do with them? Okay. So that they didn't fall into the hands of the Romans? Where did they hid them? In stone jars. In stone jars in the caves. This is where the Dead Sea Scrolls come from. It was the records at Qumran that were out there in the Dead Sea by the Essenes. Okay? Now, who else is out there wandering around the desert? John the Baptist. Now, he's, he looks a lot like the Essenes. He dresses a lot like the Essenes. Do we know that he was a Essene? No. But it's interesting that he has access probably to this stuff if he wants to. He's certainly acting like it in so many ways because he's right. He's within just a few miles of Qumran. is where he's actually baptizing at the Jordan. Okay? Now, I say that as a long lead up to this the people will cut the, the, he begins to be enough of an irritant that the people are actually coming out, the, the leaders are coming out to challenge him and in Luke 3 we'll say he said to the multitude that came to be baptized, oh generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come bring forth fruits worthy of repentance and they're gonna, and they're gonna say well look We're of Abraham, we're good. The fact that we have Abraham means that we're automatically righteous, means we're automatically going to be saved, and we keep the law of Moses, we're all Deuteronomists here, we're good. Okay? Then, Then John is going to say this to them. And now, think of the imagery. And now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees... Every tree therefore which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wow. Okay. Great image, right? Now, why is this important? Let's let's hop backwards about 80 years in Alma. Listen to Alma. And the Spirit saith unto me, "Criedeth with a mighty voice, saying, Repent, for except you repent, you can in no wise inherit the earth. Remember, talking to the people at Zarahemla. And again I say unto you, the Spirit saith, Here's what has been revealed to me the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit shall be hewn down and cast into the fire. Oh, great, he's quoting John the Baptist, except that he's how far ahead of John the Baptist? (laughs) About 80 years. John the Baptist is quoting from Alma, except they're on two different continents. Who are they quoting from? Spirit. the spirit and, and, and it's precise enough that we almost wonder if they're not both quoting from another source if this is actually scripture who would Alma have been quoting from Maybe Isaiah. probably Isaiah that he, and he, where would he have gotten the stuff from Isaiah and by the way it's not in Isaiah it's not anywhere in the Old Testament
2: brass
0: from the brass plates there you go who could the uh, people at Qumran have been quoting from? Possibly the same prophets. In other words there are, there's a series of writings and we're going to get this. Part of what I need you to hear I guess is that part of what Alma is going to do not only is he a visual teacher but he's going to draw heavily on the prophets of the past. And we're not always going to know the sources. But he is. He's going to draw heavily on the prophets from the past. He has his scriptures.
2: Although the last part of verse 52 says Behold and remember the Holy One has spoken.
0: Yes, that's right. And so somewhere the Holy One has spoken it, somewhere somebody recorded it, and it could have come directly by revelation. But when we get these almost word-for-word kind of things, it's almost in some ways more likely that they're quoting from somebody that a prophet wrote them down that they could refer to. Okay? By the way, Alma's going to add one more. Uh, a fire which uh, cannot be consumed, even an unquenchable fire. So he's actually going to add to the scripture. Oops. That's going to sound good on the recording. Okay. All right. So here's the other thing that we know about Alma. Not only is he... Uh, he, is he um, uh, putting his his lesson plans specifically to the people he's teaching, Zarahemla gets a much different lesson than Gideon is about to get. We're about to go to Gideon. So it's, it's very individualized. It's very full of imagery. He wants to paint pictures. And third, he's going to quote heavily from prophets and, and past leaders to draw to draw on. Okay? I think those... And, and that ought to be kind of a lesson to all of us. If we're trying to teach a lesson, individualize it, fill it with imagery, draw heavily on the prophets to do that. Does, does that make sense? Okay. All right. So finally. So we know what happens here, right? Uh, he is in Zarahemla. He, he preaches hellfire and damnation to these guys. They are well educated. They they think they're really righteous. They are full of starving out the poor. And he just has to really call them to repentance. Like crazy. So now he's going to get done with them. Now where's he going? Over into the land of Melech. Which I think is really close to Mulek, Which might give us some idea. And he's going to go to the town of Gideon. What do we know about Gideon? Those of you who have been read and you've been in gospel doctrine classes without even looking, what do you know about, this, about Gideon?
2: The people were righteous there. They were following the commandments.
0: Turns out they're more righteous than Zarahemla, right? Okay. What else would you know? <coughs> Where would the name Gideon come from? Well, where, where does the name Gideon come from? Well, the
3: guy, we Gideon, was, uh, he helped the people of Limhi yes. get out of...
0: He was, he was the great champion in helping the people of Limhi get out of the land of Nephi, okay? And he is the one then that he gets to Zarahemla, and what happens to him? He's killed by...
3: Oh, by...
0: Uh, Korhor. Yeah. Okay? So he's a champion. What a shock that they would that most likely then those people would then travel up the road, they would establish a town and they would name it Gideon. Let me remind you again, how important is a name? How important is remembering the name of people that we can look to in our past as great and wonderful people? I think is incredibly powerful. And to honor him, the same way we might build a library now and put it, you know, the the Bruce Jones Memorial Library.
1: (laughs) But we want him to stay living.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it could be the Bruce Jones Memorial Locker Room. I guess we could... uh, we have this tendency to want to memorialize people, and they did that. And it says that they tended to name cities after their founders. This is the city of Gideon. More than, I mean, we could make it, uh, it's not a huge jump to say that this town was probably filled with who?
4: People
0: that Gideon. The Limhiites. Probably. Uh, Good chance. They weren't of Zarahemla. They were were set apart. They had to have a. They come out of Zarahemla. Zarahemla's full. People have been living there a long time. Where are we going to put them? Well, let's build a new city. So they build a city over in Melek, the city of Gideon. So it's probably filled with (laughs) Limhiites. And they named it after Gideon. So these are these people, okay? And. So let's hop over here to. A couple of things. Behold my beloved brethren. By the way, do you think they're probably more rural? I would think it's a newer town. It hasn't been built up forever like Zara Hamlet. So it's probably a little bit more rural, probably a little less affluent. They'd, they left all their stuff in land of Nephi. They're a little bit like the saints when they get to Salt Lake out of Nauvoo. They left most of their homes and stuff. It takes a while to rebuild your life after you've had to move a long ways. Especially when you've got to get out of town in a hurry. So I, I think they're a lot more humble, probably. And certainly, uh, they're more righteous. Behold, my beloved brethren, seeing that I have been permitted to come unto you, therefore I attempt to address you in my language. Well, that could mean a couple of things, couldn't it? What language did they speak in Zarahemla? Zarahemlessness. <laughs> <laughs> After all those years of apostasy, maybe a mix of right of things that the Muleks brought, the Mulekites brought maybe some parts to their dialect, stuff like that. Would they have been speaking a little different dialect? Maybe up in the land of Nephi, Zenith takes the family up there, and, and then Noah, and then Limhi, and they're up there for a couple of hundred years. Then they come down. I think their language changed a little bit. Yeah, and it's probably the language that Alma grew up speaking, listening to his dad in the, at the waters of Mormon and then in the land of Helam. Might, you know what? The language in Gideon might have been different dialect than it was in Zarahemla. So it's really possible. This might be literal. I want to talk to you in my own language. It's the language we would both understand because we all came out of the land of Nephi. Yeah. 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 I've been on a mission to Mexico for two years, and and how do you say that word, uh, 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 church? <laughs> <laughs> I was running around with my 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 companion. <laughs> you know, it's like I got to switch. I got to switch languages. Okay, could very easily have been that. Okay. I, I'd like to think so. Or it could very easily have been I, I want to talk to you in person not by writings that I've been sending out of Zarahemla. But anyway, he's going he's to connect with them. Uh, I've been really busy, having much business. I couldn't come down to see you. Uh, I gave my judgment seat to another. Three, I had great hopes that I wouldn't find you in that awful dilemma of our brethren and Zara. Let me tell you how Zer- how bad Zarahemla really was. Those guys, oh, they just got me, they're driving me nuts. Let me tell you what they were doing. Gossip, though. No. Six, I trust that you haven't set your hearts on riches and I'm really hopeful that you don't worship idols like them <laughs> and that you look forward to remission of your sins in other words this is what I hope you're doing I'm not saying that Zarahemla was doing all of these but that's what he's, what he's hoping for Okay. now and what we're going to find if we go all the way down to the bottom of seven He's going to say... Um, look at verse 26. My beloved brethren, I have spoken these words that according to the Spirit which testify my soul doth exceedingly rejoice because of the exceeding diligence and heed that you have given to my word. Does he, he hope they were righteous? What does he find? They're righteous. Okay? Awesome. Alright. Now... Let's see, I want to go to... Okay. Let me stop for a sec. One of the things that gets, gets to happen, if somebody is, is preaching... Um, President Martin, do you think that if you had to give two lessons... You've got to go teach two classes, and one is a gospel essential lesson of people that are primarily, um, they're investigating the church, and they may have a lot of things they're going to have to repent of. Do you think your, that lesson would be just a little bit different than the one you would give to a group of high priests, or that you would give to the high council, because you know who they are? Yeah. In other words, with and, and so if I'm going Gospel Essentials, what do I have to teach in Gospel Essentials? Or what am, what am I going to teach if I'm a missionary and I'm walking into somebody who knows very little? Or that I know that they're living together, shouldn't be, and I know that they've got some things they're going to have to take care of. What am, I, what am I teaching in that place? Basic hope. Basic hope repentance. I got, may have to call them to Repentance. We love you guys, we want you in church, but you've got to get married. <laughs> in other words, I'm going to have to teach repentance to these people. And I've got to start at that level. Now what happens if I now get to come over here and teach to a group that is solid believers, and, they're hang- and they, so I go to like education week, and I get a chance to teach to people that are pay- paying money to come and spend all week, 8 to 10 hours a day being taught different lesson yes it with the with this advanced group over here do you have to necessarily pound on the repentance stuff you mention it but what do you get to teach these people over here I think you push a little more fuller doctrine take a few steps farther down the road you teach a little bit more I always feel that way with you guys on on a Monday morning. It's like, look at you guys on a Monday morning, and here you are. And we have an hour and a half to really... I always feel like I can kind of open stuff a little bit more and kind of dig a little bit deeper. Okay? Because that's, that's what happens. We adjust it based on our audience. Do you think Alma would do that between Zarahemla and Gideon? different set of lesson, different talk in Zarahemla where they really need to repent versus Gideon where they're fairly righteous. So what would they get in Gideon that they wouldn't get in Zarahemla? More blessings. How about in terms of doctrine?
1: I think they'd be able to receive a greater understanding of the Savior and the Atonement and the
0: you are prepared to receive a greater light Mm Where you have studied more, you get a greater light that maybe we would be restricted on over here because we're still working on the basics. You get a little bit more meat because you have prepared yourself so we can open, we can move that ball just a little farther down the road. Does that that make sense? That's what he does in Gideon. Gideon is is a righteous group and now he gets to say you know what, the spirit is going to say some things to me and I get to tell you more, you get greater meat, you get greater light because you put yourself in a place to receive it. Does that make sense? Okay. So look what he does. Seven. There are many things to come. Behold, there is one thing which is more important than them all. For for behold, the time is not far distant that the Redeemer liveth and cometh among his people. Now, boy, I love this. Eight. Eight. I do not say that he will come upon us at the time of his dwelling in his mortal tabernacle. For the Spirit hath not said unto me that this should be the case. Now as to this thing, and I always love it when a prophet does this, as to this thing, what? I do not know. Here's what I don't know. I can tell you some things the Spirit has told me, but before I tell you what the Spirit has told me, let me preface it with, here's what I don't know. Now, let me stop for a second. At these days, when, when, uh, as we look at scholarship and the gospel and where we are, how important is it for us to know what we don't know? Versus what we do know. We get up in testimony meeting, and we bear testimony to what we do know. What kind of faith and spirit does it to say, I don't know? Is that harder?
1: It's humble.
0: It's humbling. Okay, so here's... I put it... So here's the question that I have. He's going to say, as to this thing, I do not know. So here's my my questions. How do you handle doubts? When you doubt something, how do you handle it? And I'm not asking you to necessarily answer this out loud unless you want to but the question is for each one of us how do we handle doubts how do we ha- especially spiritual doubts how do you handle that in your own life what do you do how do you approach that how do you take care of that how do you handle doubts first
2: thing is to pray about it
0: sure so you pray about it and the answer isn't forthcoming I have a doubt why it is that more hasn't been revealed about Heavenly Mother. I revere her and love her, and I'm just hungering for more info, and it ain't happening. And I can ask Heavenly Father, give me more, and he ain't. <laughs> and he hasn't given it to President Monson either. Nobody's getting And I don't know why that is. seems like that would be, a, in my universe, it seems like that would be really helpful.
1: You must have patience.
0: I have to. So is part of how we have to handle doubts is we have to be patient with the stuff we don't know? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: We have to have faith. Faith comes into this.
0: And part of the faith, because we talk about, well, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I have faith in this. Or I have faith in this. How about if you have faith that one day you'll find out?
1: I think you have to have trust. That you'll have, someday you'll know.
0: Someday you'll know. Okay, yeah. I like the patience that it might not be
1: important for our salvation at this
0: moment. But that's right.
1: that's it's going to set us to
0: learn more about this. yeah but how about if part of my i don't know why it is that the lord let this happen to me i don't know why it is that the lord hasn't that let this bishop do this or i don't know why it is that my husband had to die or i don't know why i don't know why i don't know why and it seems like it's pretty important stuff and i would like to have an answer but no answers are coming yeah are searching, which is what are we supposed do to learn? Um, and then I just encourage them to search right this uh, Because, just don't Google it. You know, like, we, we have our scriptures we have, um, and I have my, uh, I mean, I'm sure all of us have had a off like but don't Google it. Because we'll tell you what we're going Right. Right. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. You know where to go, it. Right? You know where to go. <laughs> Wouldn't the church have done better if we left out the polygamy thing? (laughs) (laughs) If you're just looking in in terms of sheer numbers and and, uh, opposition and you look at then Nauvoo and Salt Lake and everything the Utah war and so on and on and on, wouldn't the church kind of done better without the polygamy thing? Why why would they introduce it? I don't know. But there it is And and it's caused endless struggles. But if that's a doubt for people, it's like someday we'll get to know the answer. At the moment, we really don't have it. Yeah?
1: I love many years ago when Sister Kimberly was alive. I love what she spoke in a meeting that I went to. She said she has questions,
0: but she has a question jar that she puts on the shelf. Mm. And when the answer is is given, she takes that question out. There are still questions in her question jar. Yeah, she has no clue, and I think that that's the way we need to be. We need to say, "I don't understand at this point," but there will come a time when we will. I've always loved the uh, the, the quote from the uh, uh, BYU chemistry professor who struggled for a long time with evolution. The science part of him said, I understand how this works. The spiritual side said it doesn't make any sense. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said he got a very clear answer one night when he was praying. Is there an answer on the question of evolution? And, the, and he got an answer to his prayer. It was, yes. <laughs> Period. <laughs> someday, someday he would know. But th- there was an answer. He just wasn't being given at the time. Shannon?
2: Um, I- that we have like things like what, what happened to the dinosaurs, were they real, all those kind of
0: things? We're yeah. Really be, or why don't we really understand more about it? Yeah. Or there's,
2: there's question kind of doubts, and then there's doubt like about the whole thing. Yeah. Is the Lord real and is he doing this? And can I really believe in this religion things like that? And I think some of the little doubts you can set to the side and put in your question jar. The big doubt you have to work through it.
0: And, and they do become important to our salvation, I right?
2: Have, I have had the experience with some of those kind of things where I really had to step back and examine my motives. Was I really willing to hear the truth? Was I really willing to oh, hear yes. the truth it? And then really set aside all the things that I was hearing just start at point zero and live the gospel. And test the word and try it. And you know, it's funny, Alma talks about that later. And I think that you have to give the Spirit a chance to teach you to answer to those doubts.
0: And it's a really hard process. Boy, I I think what you're saying, though, is is really, really critical because sometimes we struggle with the doubts because if we get an answer, it may require us to do things that maybe we don't feel like we're ready to to do yet. It requires some movement on our part if we clear up that doubt. or let go of some other cherished things that maybe we've held on to. I think that's that's right on. Yeah? Sharing with you just a fabulous talk about engaging in the wrestle. Yeah. i afraid of having those doubts and going through that process that you think that if you fucked out, oh my gosh, what the hell is going So if this is where you're at, that's a great I love, and in Jacob's case, a Jacob's wrestling result, he got, a, you know, his leg gets dislocated. I mean, that's that's quite a wrestle. Sometimes those are going to be hard wrestles, yeah.
2: Makes me think a little bit about if you don't, if there weren't any doubts, you wouldn't be sure of what you knew you knew. Yeah. Like there's opposition in all things. There's a right and a wrong. if
0: there, there were no questions, there would be no surety that you have answers to questions. And and so our so part of understanding and part of our mortal journey and our growth is saying we are going to have faith and we're going to know what we know but we also have to be comfortable with what, knowing what we don't know and allowing that process to work for us yeah, cute lady in the back <laughs> one of the things that I really
2: like with uh, is sort of paraphrasing he says uh, I, I don't know the meaning of
0: all things Yes. nevertheless, I know that- nevertheless. Some, do you think maybe that's the go to place sometimes I don't know the meaning of all things but I know that Heavenly Father loves me I think that, that's a great point yeah
1: I, I really don't know how people that don't rely on the Holy Ghost how they handle this because
0: it's know, it's about smarts at that point, right? Why don't you? I, I'm a smart person. Do right
1: research to pray. for right. answers. Mm-hmm. Having the comfort of the Holy Ghost to put you at peace.
0: To yeah. Someday true. Get the
1: answer, but for now,
0: yeah. Okay, so part of this is. So, when there are no immediate answers, what explanations does your head create? Because I worry about that sometimes. Yeah. So
4: the thing is you have to ask in faith.
0: And ask in faith that I'm going to have faith in you even if I don't get the answer. Great point, Jimmy. Yeah. I, I think that's where I struggle. And, and though, But my problem a lot of times with, with, in trying to help people is that sometimes if the answers aren't coming, I worry about the answers that do come. How come the Lord let such and such a thing happen to me? Well, it's because I didn't deserve it, or there's something wrong with me, or I'm broken, or I wasn't worthy enough, or... Your head will come up with some really dumb answers. (laughs) I promise you, it will. Or, you can actually go to the Google and thumb them, and there are a lot of other people that are anxious to give you their dumb answers. (laughs) Why did Joseph Smith tell different stories about the first vision? Maybe because he was talking to different people. (laughs) Maybe that would explain it. Okay?
3: In the last conference, I don't remember which general authority was, but he talked about how he struggled with why the restoration Mm -hmm. was not done. Brazil, which is where he is uh,
0: yes, yes. the restoration should have been in Brazil. Yeah, and, and, and this went on years years. like he served in the state
3: I mean, yeah. a long process before.
0: And he figured Brazil would have been a better place for the restoration to For some
3: reason that was his struggle. And so but he didn't stop, you know, going to church. He didn't stop right he still I mean he's obviously was serving in the state presence he, he was trying to do what's right, so does it, does it, I,
0: I think it's because Come Come Ye Saints was never supposed to be done to the Samba. I think that's.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <But> he, learned. <laughs> he,
1: finally, he finally did learn. Yeah, the, the,
0: yeah. The, 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 that's an interesting question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I that, I mean, you know, that about the Yeah. Yeah, and it's not a struggle for you. But where there are things that I've gone through that have been a huge struggle for me, but to other people it's not a big deal. So yeah, it's true. Do you think something that might seem huge to someone might not be, but Do you think our,
2: Brazil might have, I mean, it
0: Yeah, that was that very, was here, yeah. Was a very relative, it, and that process. Do you think maybe sometimes our doubts are individualized to us? I guess that's a great point. The, the idea of—I was trying to tell somebody the other day—they um, were struggling about something with Joseph Smith, and I said, and I and I sat there and realized for the first time that my my testimony to Prophet Joseph Smith came when I was about seven or eight, and I've just never doubted. Struggling with the idea of Joseph Smith on anything is not something that has been my battle. I, my battles are in other places, but it's not with Joseph Smith, and for some, they do better in other places than I do, but Joseph Smith is their battleground. So, I th- that idea of an individualized thing, I think that's, that's really good. Okay. Um, we have about uh, ten minutes to, to finally get halfway through, this, through seven. <laughs> Uh, I always call this, at the end of this, this is, chapter 7, of course, contains one of the, the great verses in all of Scripture about the Savior. And about uh, uh, how, uh, what, how the atonement worked and about Him. I always call it the Big Gulp Scripture. It's Alma 7.11. <laughs> Part of what was revealed to the people of Gideon that wasn't necessarily revealed to Zarahemla because they were working on repentance. Here's the additional light and knowledge that the people in Gideon get because they were prepared. He shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this that the word might be fulfilled which saith he will take upon him the pains and sicknesses of his people. Now, let me show you in a second that this might be fulfilled what verse is it fulfilling or what scripture? We'll come back. He will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death that bind his people. He will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. Now, Scriptorians in our midst. <laughs> but it says, um, He's going to suffer in verse 11, and suffer afflictions and temptations of every kind, that the word might be fulfilled, which saith, He will take upon Him the pains and sicknesses of the people. Wh- what, what scripture is being quoted there? What's He referring to? Isaiah. Yes. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Now, I don't know if you've ever really noticed this. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Um, There's no form or comeliness. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Then it's going to say, Surely he hath borne our griefs. He's acquainted with grief. Therefore, he hath borne our griefs. Okay? Arjuna, it's impossible to see this and not sing it, right? Right. <laughs> Surely. Okay, now. So, I, here's my question then. He was acquainted with grief so that he could bear our griefs. He was acquainted with sorrow so that he could bear our sorrow. We could go a long time... There was a... There was a, a, a um, there's a wonderful Christian book out there, uh, and I don't remember the name of the minister that wrote it. Beautiful book called, uh, uh, it's either The Dirty Jesus or The Dirty God. The dirty, I think it's The Dirty Jesus. Anyway, and he talks about Jesus' humanness, and that how he's walking the dirty path that his feet... Uh, probably smelled, and that he was sweaty at times, you know, and that he may even have, you know, and you start going through all these mortal things that we tend to see this idealized uh, paintings of Jesus, like from, the, from uh, the Renaissance era, and, you know, he's got a glow behind him, and he's clean and wonderful, and his garments are spotless white. And it's like, this is a guy walking back and forth between Galilee and Jerusalem in the dust, and needed to take a bath. And and that somewhere along the line his dad his father his earthly father died. He had loss. He watched people die. He weeps with with uh, Mary and Martha at at, with, at outside Lazarus's tomb. He stands outside of Jerusalem and he weeps a lot. He cries a lot. But he's also gone through a lot of very personal painful Kind of things. Okay?
3: I love the order that Alma describes the atonement. And it's curious to me that he, char- he starts without mentioning sin or death.
0: Yeah. And right.
3: I often thought for the atonement to work, it says we will have our sins cleansed if we repent, but we are not able to cover the sins that are the injuries that we've done to others. And I find it curious here that here it first speaks about his capacity to yeah. he heal everything. Yeah. Before he can forgive sins he has to have the capacity yeah. to take care of the other side of our sin.
0: And isn't it interesting that he always healed the physical ailment before he figured, did the spiritual one. Go back and look at all the time, lepers, deaf, blind, stuff like that. He'd, feel the, he'd take care of the physical thing, and then he'd say, now your sins are forgiven. He always went in that order. That's why in, in Isaiah 53, I went back and looked. Surely he hath borne our griefs. The word that, is used, that was translated into the English as grief is actually disease. He has borne our diseases. I use this a lot with my people, with my guys with addictions. He has healed diseases and they can be physical like leprosy or cancer if he chooses to heal those but it's also diseases like addictions and depression and bipolar, okay, yeah? The book you reference is actually called
1: Dirty God.
0: The Dirty God.
1: Jesus in
0: the Trenches is what it's Yeah great stuff great you want to read a wonderful christian book that is that's a well done kind of thing okay all right so in the, in the time that we have remaining let me ask you this because here's the here's the thought i want you to take out today just how exactly does the savior succor his people according to their infirmities okay he he was acquainted with grief Therefore, he bore our grief and diseases so that he could succor his people. How does he do that? Because a lot of times what we're talking about, uh, those of you in here who have lost spouses or family, that, family members that you love, that succoring didn't necessarily mean healing them. It didn't necessarily mean saving their life. Suckering, if you're praying for a child that has uh, apostatized or left the church, praying for him doesn't necessarily mean fixing it immediately, does it? So what what exactly does it mean if he's going to sucker his people according to their infirmities? if it doesn't necessarily mean changing them not all strengths or not all weaknesses get made into strengths so yeah I
3: think. When
0: we pray for the
3: relief of whatever infirmity or problem we've got, we draw strength that enables us to continue to deal with it.
0: So part of that succoring is a strengthening that happens. Yeah, When I'm helping people through the grief process, for instance, I'm having to say to them, Grieve! You've lost somebody important to you. <laughs> succoring according to your, your griefs doesn't mean that you never cry. That now I'm, I lost somebody that I've loved for a long, long time and they've died and now I have no tears and a smi- happy smile on my face because he's in a better place and I'm happy and the Savior has solved all that. No, grieve. Succoring doesn't mean no tears. That's, yeah? Thank you. It gives
2: us hope for an ultimate resolution.
0: I like the hope idea absolutely but that, that, that's where that faith comes in that says I hurt today but I believe it will get better tomorrow okay yeah it's sometimes helpful Uh,
1: to me I find that if somebody else has gone through exactly the same thing they know
0: exactly what I'm going through that's helpful isn't that true even on the grieving thing if somebody just comes over and rather than says to you you're grieving they don't just say well dry it up it'll be better trust in the plan of salvation you'll be fine as opposed to saying I've been there and I know you're hurting and I'm hurting let me just sit with you I'm, I'm aware I'm acquainted with your grief I'm not going to try and dry your eyes too fast, but I'm also not going to let you have to be alone while you do it. I think that's a that's a great point. Yeah. I just think it's interesting and in every answer here is different. Yes. Everything is different because my sister went to- That succoring may be a very individualized kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I remember when our oldest one started to um, go, go away from the church and, and do things that he shouldn't do. And I was just almost obsessed with it. I just... Uh, it was just so painful, and, and, you know, you wanted to fix it.
0: Yes, yes. You
1: couldn't, but...
0: And you couldn't, so you need him to fix it, I, and he ain't doing it.
1: I learned so much from going through that experience and learning to have, to feel the comfort, and to be comforted, and to be patient.
0: Yeah, And, yeah. you
1: know, it taught me a lot as far as mothering my other children. And I have a wonderful relationship with his son and his beautiful children. And I, he's not where I would like him to be, but he's.
0: But he's your son.
1: He's moving forward. He's a fantastic dad, and I see little little steps of progress. Yeah. I can live with that.
0: Do you think that's the Savior succoring you a little bit, bringing you some peace to say, uh, we can't resolve this? but you can be at peace that I got it and we'll, and we'll take it from there
1: and I've learned unconditional love
0: <laughs> okay so so here's my final question to you then D- just exactly how does the Savior sucker his people according to their fir- infirmities how do you do it in succoring people according to their infirmities yeah
2: sucker means
0: does doesn't it and I think that's why the word is used, because we have this, this sense of being nourished and being taken care of. And, and I think that's, that, that the short answer, so often I think, with the succoring that the Savior does, is that He can do it through the Spirit, but more likely, how is that succoring going to take place? Through us. Yeah. <coughs> stand in need of those that stand. Yes, absolutely. In other words, all, I'm going to have you... L- 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 let me just finish with this. I've mentioned this and I, I've actually shared this uh, with at the, the, this last baptism of my uh, grandson where I, I talked a little bit about uh, baptism and, and I, I mentioned again something I've mentioned in here. I just, I just said to him, I just need you to realize that this is baptism into the gate. The, there is a king that's letting you into his castle. And, and you get to come into the gate but the idea is once you get inside the gate you've got a job to do and that's to help protect everybody else he needs you in the castle to take care of people that can't always take care of themselves. That's your job. So when we, when we become baptized, we agree to succor others. That doesn't mean fix them, and that doesn't mean we remove all the painful stuff in their life, but sometimes that simply means, because we've been acqu- acquainted with our grief and our doubts and our struggles, that we sit with people, that we just allow them to have their feelings, but we don't necessarily, they don't have to do it alone. And, and the Savior's succoring so often is us. We are that extension of Him to provide the succoring that He would do if He were here, but even more importantly, He's got us, and we are acquainted with grief also.
4: I feel Jesus was meek, loving, and kind. I imagine back in that day, the world was very tough and meek. It's just like now, the world is meaner and meaner, and people. I sometimes get a sense like uh, kindness, meekness, and the love. Uh, you know, people don't show it because they, they feel it's kind of like a show they're vulner- vulnerable. They're v- vulnerable and weak. Yes, and, uh, but uh, I, I imagine because Jesus Jesus came in contact with a lot of lowly people. And in this, in the, you know, like lower class in the society, it was really rough. People only talking about survival, there's, I imagine there was no love. Many people haven't been really properly loved in, uh, throughout their entire life. I kind of feel the same way now. Sure. A lot of people never really feel the true love.
0: I know some of you over there couldn't hear it. Um, but th- I think that's, that's exactly right on. She says the world back then could be a very mean place. It could be a very hard place. They were under Roman occupation. It was a hardscrabble life that they were living uh, at that time. But she said in so many ways this is a hard life now. And we live in a very harsh world. And to be soft and nurturing and caring is to be vulnerable and weak. And yet that's exactly what's required as we're helping one another. Another inside the castle. Great, great point, Judy. Okay, uh we need to close. Um let me just say though that um I think that part of what you're hearing from Alma is that just this need to be able to trust that the Lord has us, that there are gonna be doubts and that it's okay, and that we have faith that one day they'll be resolved. But not necessarily this fast or in the way we would like. But ultimately, I think the compassion comes from us. We are the way He suckers. So our, we have to kind of double down on that need for us to be the succoring agent for the for the Lord in all that we do. I pray that we can do that, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our
4: dear Father heaven. And we're grateful for this beautiful day. We're so thankful for the truths and the scriptures that guide us and strengthen us to bring them like thee. We're grateful for our testimonies and pray that we can strengthen them every day and share them with those around us. Please watch over us and help us to do thy will. And we say this in the name
1: of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. amen. All right. Next week is uh, Ammonihah and Amulek. Yes. Alma eight, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Nice.
2: Good one. How are you? Is the recording off?
0: Not yet. That's true. It was Nehor that killed
4: Gideon.
0: It was Nihor not not uh, not Korahor. I got my wrong dudes.
2: (laughs) Stacy. Yes. Thank you. Thank, you Thank you. Yeah.